Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Music Note Podcast, where we'll be exploring the different occupations and careers linked to the art of music. I'm your host, Lori Leanne. In episode 8, my guest is not only an incredible musician and a well-known name in the international world of Latin jazz and percussion, he's also an amazing educator. Listen as we talk about his love for music and music education. Welcome to the show, Victor Mendoza. Hola, Victor. Let's start from the beginning. How did you roll into the music business? Uh, the music business? You mean my education or the music business as a whole? Well, how did it start out at home? At home? Well, it, it is important that I mention this because I learned a lot about the music business through my father. The way a lot of people learn things, you know, when your parents teach you things, you know, and you kind of like, see what the standard is what the work ethic is and, and both my father and my mother um, had a lot to do with the way i was i always thought you know um, meaning that my mother for example to give you an idea and and this is what happened my parents divorced when i was very young nonetheless my father would send money to mexico where i was born i was born in chihuahua <laughs> okay the place uh, not the dog yes no no dog jokes okay <laughs> <laughs> no, I was born then. And then my father, uh, when he was there, he used to perform. He he played guitar. He studied guitar. But also, um, he, he had a big passion for classical uh, music, also classical guitar. But also, he liked jazz, uh, believe it or not. And he actually played in some, um, like, what they call popular music, like dance orchestras. So he actually was one of the first people to have an electric guitar in Mexico. And Chihuahua, he was the first one. But, uh, but generally, what happened is that he left to the States and I was very young when I was, uh, you know, with my mother, my grandmother. So I kind of, I had a very strong sort of like family foundation from that point of view, you know, because my family was there. I moved to the, to the U.S. when I was about um, 11 is when I went to, the, to New Mexico. And, and then not much after that, we actually came directly to Spain because my father, uh, he wanted to study with some uh, of the masters in Madrid. So we came here and, uh, you know, I, I, we lived in, in Madrid for a few months, you know, while he studied. When we went to New Mexico, my father used to play in a, in a uh, restaurant and he would play, perform around, you know. So sometimes he would bring me along and I was 12, you know, and he would tell me, you know, uh, play maracas with me. It, it's, kind, it's kind of funny how life comes, kind of comes back, you know, because that, that became sort of like my discipline. You know, I, I had to learn how to play maracas, you know, just keeping time and that was it. There's nothing to it. You just play, you know, chan, 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 you know. But probably one of the best lessons that I learned and most fundamental ones, and this is the one thing that I would suggest to all the young musicians, you know, is that I remember that I, we were playing some uh, bolero and, and then... Uh, and I was playing, you know, and then some some lady came to my father and says, oh, would you play Besame Mucho? And I remember rolling my eyes sort of like cynically, like, oh, great. Now it's another bolero, you know, and I was going to play the same. Chan, chan, chan. And I remember my father turning around and saying to me, so you want to be a musician, huh? And that stuck to my mind like crazy, meaning that obviously there was a very powerful message behind that, meaning that. We have to satisfy the audience. We have to satisfy, you know, the public, you know, whatever they want. That's what we're doing for them. And to this day, you know, it's, it's very interesting when I look at somebody, you know, any of the 
the the big bands say when you listen to uh, whether it's Count Basie or or to Kellington or Stevie Wonder or any any great musician, you know, when they say, "Hey, so this goes out to all you beautiful people," or etc. Oh, for ladies and gentlemen, you know, just the way that they address the audiences and and why those are like the the success, successful bands that I think because they do write about them, about the audience, about people. Something that I realized that when you write about yourself, it's a little bit too self, uh, I almost want to say self-inflicting. It's a little too much of the self in there, you know, but, but, you know, and people say, oh, but you want to express what you feel. And I said, yeah, I, I'm not saying that, but rather than just what I feel, it's almost like more how life is reflected through my eyes or, and how I want to be able to pass it on, you know? So for example, to me, it's more interesting to talk about the love story of a couple, you know, some, some people who are then my own love stories, for example, you know, because mine is more dr drama. The other one is it's a real thing, you know? <laughs> so, or that's what it was anyway, as a, as a musician, that was like very fundamental to me, you know? So as time went on, I started playing with my father at this clubs, you know, and I played with my friends, play rock in a band, you know, and I was like learning how to play. I used to uh, listen to bands like War, everything, you know, Jimi Hendrix, everybody. Now, we have to remember, I'm a Mexican. I'm in New Mexico, right? And all of a sudden, I'm getting, I'm hearing all this music, but also because my father was a musician, I was also listening to Duke Ellington, you know, Count Basie. I would also listen to Beethoven. When I used to come from school, he would be in his studio painting, which is another, the other half of his life. And I would come in and he would, be listening to it could be the you know barney castle trio jazz trio or nana muscuri the uh, the wonderful you know greek vocalist it was very interesting because he would always point out things to me and he would say like check out this guitar player he's, he's really good because of that or even lawrence Welk when we would watch it you know and it was you know kind of cheesy but he would always say yeah the music is a little cheesy however these are great instrumentalists so that always stayed in my mind, you know, it's like respecting someone else, you know, and, and really listening and paying attention and learning to listen. And what do you listen for? What do you focus on? Funny enough, my mother had something very similar <clears throat> because my mother did a lot of like arts and crafts and she was a fantastic chef. She actually, uh, she was taken to, to travel to Singapore to cook for some very well-known dignitaries and all that. She even cooked for the, uh, uh, the Mexican president once, unfortunately, poisoned him, which we wanted him to do because <laughs> he was such a corrupt human being, you know. But the one thing that that with her had to do more with the visuals, with color. She would see a, a color and she was, or, or details of some kind of art, you know, and she would, wow, look at this. And then she taught us somehow, and it was through my living with her, you know, being around her where she would like observe something and say, oh, look how beautiful this line is, or look how beautiful this combination of colors and things like that. So I had my own two best teachers at home, you know, for arts. So I learned to observe, to listen, and over the years. So you actually didn't have a classical training. My classical training did not happen until later, but I was also getting a lot of like street wisdom, meaning that I was playing with my father, learning all these songs, and I would just go and listen and take the recordings and when i was playing with them he would just give me the album and he would say like here go listen to it study it learn it so like for example whether it was like greek rhythms you know or or rhythms you know from the middle east i would listen to like tarbuka etc 
And and I said, but I don't have a darbuka. And he goes, well, figure it out. You know, go find a, you know, play on the snare drum, tune it differently. Those type of little things that you don't think. Okay, so I would go and tune it and try to make it. And then and I said, well, I guess I have to play with my fingers. Uh, then the other thing was uh, uh, the same thing. You know, bossa novas. You know, Jobim. Oh my God, I listened to Jobim forever. Also, the same thing with Chivan music. The same thing. He says, you know, listen to that. So. And because he had such a vast collection of albums, uh, when he wasn't there, I was there, you know, just listening, just going album after album after album. When I said that I didn't have the classical training was because I was not trained in music reading. Uh, but I had a very good ear, I think, over time. I think I developed it. I, and because by the time I went to college, I already had heard so much big band. My father was a big Stan Kenton fan, and I listened to him. And actually, I ended up in attending a... Uh, I won a scholarship to study, you know, one summer with a band. And I was like, I mean, he was freaking out, you know, and I was doing, you know, so. And so uh, there were all like bits and pieces of information that I was getting this training, you know, one day would be, you know, piano, which I did study eventually with a, uh, with a wonderful German teacher. And uh, my father said, you know, try to get some kind of technique, learn harmony, you know, classical jazz and all this. So slowly I started like learning and it was a, a very long period of training. When I went to, to college, you know, um, uh, I had a, a scholarship to one university. I, I lasted like two years there because the person who was there, very nice man, but he wasn't specialized in, in percussion. However, there was an assistant who noticed that I was not a good reader and he says, you have very good memory. And I said, why do you say? He said, because I've been watching you. You memorize the, the, the parts, all the orchestral parts, don't you? You watch somebody and you memorize it. And I said, uh, yeah. He says, well, okay. He says, you've got good memory. You know, you can hear things, you know. However, you need to learn how to read. And he helped me along how to read. There was also another very um, important man in my life, uh, John Grant, who was a... Uh, uh, drummer and he had actually studied in, he, in Boston. He was sort of like a hippie. However, he had this incredible rigid discipline. He was because he had been a photographer in the Air Force, but he also played drums. He was from New Orleans. He sat me down one time and he said, "Well, let me show you how you play rudiments, for example." And I, at first, you know, you know, when we know one thing, you know, we're young, we get a little cocky, and we, you know, nah, I already know that. And no, I did not know anything. This guy knew a lot of stuff. So, you know, I, I learned like uh, rudiments from him and he showed me. And then he said, yeah, if you ever, you know, this this came from also from a book from a, a great drummer, Alan Dawson, the fantastic drum teacher from Boston. Funny how life turns again. I end up meeting Alan and, and he says to me, hi, Victor, how are you? And I remember I'm, I'm jumping, you know, many years later. And I went, Alan and I said oh Mr. Dawson I'm sorry he goes no you can call me Alan how are you and I'm going man oh my god you know he goes I said I'm a big fan of yours and then he said to me he says I'm a fan of yours I've heard you and I said what no no he's wonderful wonderful teacher the thing is that when I went to college you know I was playing and I had another amazing teacher March Holmgren she was more from the classical percussion area you know with her I learned so much about timpani you know marimba it was all classical training, but there was something, and, and this is something that I think hap has happened to a lot of people nowadays, but I, and I have to mention it, being Mexican, I came to this, to New Mexico, you know, and to be honest, I hadn't, I experienced a little bit of uh, discrimination 
it was in a different sense, you know, it was like people would like poke at me sometimes like that, you know, but I, I, I didn't realize it was like my, I was on a mission. So I, I would ignore a lot of that. I was not focused on that. The thing is that um, I remember I was at this school, which was uh, Northern Arizona University. They had some very good teachers there and she was uh, really amazing. However, you know, there was a, a time when I thought that um, she took off on a sabbatical and came back. And I sort of felt behind in a way, you know, for what she was teaching me. And she was a little upset with me because I hadn't kept up in some ways. Uh, I was studying a lot, but it was not what she wanted me to study. So the thing was that uh, because I also played drum set, um, I had also uh, played with, I, I had taken, by that time, by the way, I already had taken, I met uh, Sonny Payne, who was uh, Duke Ellington's drummer and, and Count Basie's drummer. And and I studied with him because he, he never charged me for lessons. You know, he was a very sweet man. He heard me play and he says, What um let's see, I I'm going back and forth here and in, in the time in the time ladder. But um when I was in Santa Fe wor- working with my father, he I went to see him because I saw that he was performing in town and I I went to see him. I introduced myself and then I told him I was playing at this place and he ended up at, at La Fonda Hotel where I was playing. He said, uh Victor, um why don't you come tomorrow to my hotel? And I said, really? And he sat there with me and, and gave me some lessons, you know, and through the week. And then at the end, I said, uh, sir, uh, what do I owe you for a lesson? He says, nothing. I said, what? I said, I have to pay you. He says, no, do me a favor. Do the same thing for another student. He was one of the most elegant people you could imagine. Uh, again, African-American and very elegant. He, he would wear like this yellow banana suits with shoes to match. I mean, elegance to the max, you know, and, and, and he always said, he says, go to the university, learn everything you can. He was very sweet to me, you know? So again, another teacher who plants another seed in my mind, you know, and, and ways of thinking anyway. So the thing is, again, the reason I mentioned this is because again, you know, the idea of, of discrimination and all these things that happen that have come to light in some ways nowadays, it, I, I just like I had ignored it, you know, and I, I didn't pay attention to it. The thing is that when I was in, in, again, going back to my story with my teacher, you know, I thought I was mad at her. I said, I said, you know, why is everybody like discriminating me or treating me like that? And she looked at me and, and I, and I told her, I said, and you're also very hard on me. You know, I don't know why. And she looked at me and she goes, you're an idiot <laughs> like this. And I said, what? She says, you're one of the few students I can make it. And that's why I'm mad at you. I almost cried right in front of her. And I said, oh, was I ever wrong? You know, and those are the lessons that you kind of go learn. Anyway, so she came back with like seven books or eight books, a stack of books like that. And she gave them to me. They were all on, on vibraphone technique. And she says, study this, learn them. I spent the whole summer, maybe, I don't know, six hours daily, every single day practicing everything. I learned all the technique that I had to learn and all that. And to this day, you know, I think about her, you know, and, and praise her, you know, for, for what a teacher, you know. And and again, you know, it's, it's a thing that when we're young, you know, a lot of times we, we, we can be very wrong as to how we're getting some information. And so I started like writing, making notes to myself on how to be a better student, because, you know, we get trained about how to be a better teacher. But many times we don't we, we don't we're not addressed as how to be a better student in general. Right now, everybody's more concerned about your rights and all this. And you're going like, well, yeah, you have your rights, you know, but still you have to know how to learn, you know? So, And that's where my uh, my own concept of learning how to learn started, you know, how to be an independent learner. 
So I went back to my thoughts of my mother, my father, and how I I realized that I had to go and and study more, you know, and study, you know, and say, okay, I need to learn this. I'm going to go and learn that. So when I went to college, you know, I started trying to learn as much as possible, but also within a certain realistic sense, you know, because it's, you know, to try to acquire all the information so quickly is, it's, it's a bit much, which actually brings up a point to me nowadays, you know, where in education nowadays, where we have so much information out there, it's crazy because we don't know what to do with all that information, you know, and, and this is like, like the, what I call the YouTube syndrome. There is a problem that I find with that because you don't have feedback. And also you don't know if you're getting you know, meat and potatoes from that, you know, you're, you don't know what, what they're giving you or how accurate they are on what they're saying. There's also another thing, pedagogically speaking, is that they're, they're just giving you information, but there's no way of how to, uh, what do you call it, chew that information necessarily and, and, and actually put it into, into play and have somebody say, you're doing it right. You're doing it wrong or whatever, you know. So the thing is that at that time, you know, all this time that I was in college, I know this this sounds like a take out the violin kind of thing, you know, uh, in the background, because I used to have, you know, we had like snowstorms and I would, you know, go walk in the snow, like for whatever, 30, 40 minutes to get to the library and and take out the albums and listen to them and study and then walk back in the, you know, in the snow and all that kind of thing, you know. That's why I was saying take out the violins. You know? And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't suffering. It was just, it was a sort of like an adventure because again, you know, my attitude, and that's something that is very important. I think my attitude was that I had a mission. My mission was to go and learn and get trained, you know? And I remember, I mean, I have to mention something. I saw one time, I wish I knew who this educator was. It was this African-American woman, an educator that, uh, fantastic. But she, she says, you do what you got to do so you can do what you want to do. And I said, oh my God, is that wise? When I went to Boston the, for the first time, after I graduated from Arizona, so I lived a little bit in, in Phoenix and I actually had a gig. Check this out. I had a gig at the Playboy Club. They actually had one. It was like a bar restaurant. And yes, I mean, it very... <laughs> today it would not be open. I, I can tell you that. But it was not... I mean, it was, you know, it was... a a gentleman's club, you might call it, but it was legal and every not, there was no funny business going on. But nonetheless, what happened was that they called me because I had a very good jazz quintet. And so I played there and I was making good money. And I left it and everybody told me, they say, you're crazy. You're leaving it. You're making good money. You're there. You know, it's sort of like high status in, in Arizona. And I said, yeah, but I, I just got a scholarship to Berkeley. I said, well, yeah, man. But, and I said, no, man. So basically I packed up my things and I went to uh, Boston. So you already knew that you wanted to go to Berkeley. Actually, uh, you know, I had heard about Berkeley uh, at this school. I met this guy, guitar player, and he mentioned Berkeley. And then I started reading about it. I saw that Berkeley was the only place where you could go and study vibraphone as a, as a principal instrument. It was the only place in the in the country. Okay, So I basically, I took my car packed it up with my instruments and drove across country, which that was another adventure, but I won't bore you with the story. But anyway, but basically it took me, you know, four or five days and I made it to Boston. I got myself a, a job as a waiter because I needed to pay the rent somehow. It wasn't. And also after I saw what the gigs paid, which was very little money, you know, again, you know, my interest was to go and learn and, and study and learn from everyone. But my, my point of all this is that when you're a student, you do everything possible to try to learn, you know, and I see a lot of, uh, you know, I've seen that at birth in Boston, 
you know, I mean, in Boston and in, in, in here in, in Valencia, you know, where uh, a lot of people sacrifice, you know, financial family funds, you know, in order for someone to go further with their education. More the reason why you have to be very careful as to how you employ your time, you know, and really how do you focus that type of thing. But I wish somebody should have a course on being, but to be a better focus on the on the education that you want to have or the training that you want to have. Something that is actually irrelevant to what you want to do, but also to to take stock of what you actually know and what you really need to know so that when you get out into the field of music, you're actually prepared with relevant information. I ended up in Boston for like about 28 or so years teaching there. At that time, did you know that you wanted to teach? Did you see yourself as a teacher? That's a fantastic question. Actually, my first degree was in education. Somebody said, why? Why not performance? I said, well, and everybody said, well, so you can go and make a living, etc." But honestly, I did not see myself directing a marching band. That's, that wasn't my thing. It's not what I wanted to do. And there are some great people who do that, you know, that type of work, you know, and it's, it's wonderful. But I wanted to go play. And slowly, uh, you know, when you start finding out, well, yeah, you can play, but you're not going to make that much money. You know, I mean, you're going to be okay. And uh, at the same time, you, you have to be realistic as to what you want to do with your career. So when I was offered that, I said, well, I, I could stay one more year probably in Boston. And it was the first year, you know, I said, I'll stay one year and I'll teach and then I'll go back to Arizona where it's nice and whatever, you know. Not that Boston wasn't nice, but uh, the winters are brutal. What was very important was that um, I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. And it's just a feather on my cap, you know, I can't go back. And then come the second year, I'm there again, you know. At uh, that time, I had gotten married. And, uh, you know, of course, when you have a, a partner, you have to, also pay for your half of the rent. You know, you, you can say, "Hey, I want to be an artist. Can you uh, support me?" <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but also, I, I realized that slowly I started like getting the hang of it, and I realized that um, because at one time I was learning for myself. You know, I was like acquiring information for me. So, but I wasn't concerned about how I was going to disseminate this information. I mean, how am I going to? passes on to someone else i didn't have to start learning uh, appropriate adjectives to describe a, a, a passage in a certain you know composition you know all of a sudden now i have to use adjectives i cannot say yeah that's a really cool line man you know it's, it doesn't you need a little more than that you know so <laughs> so slowly i started like learning and then before you know it it became my other passion I love that, you know, but also that passion came from the fact that I met students who were just like me. And and it was just a, a really, you know, a, a wonderful experience there. You know, it's again, the, the people that went through my ensembles, you know, they're, I mean, some of, today, they're some of the top musicians in the world, you know, they're highly established and because you see them. So a lot of times, you know, when people, when I see a young player, you know, they try to impress you. And I always tell them, I said, don't try to impress me. I've seen it all. And they say, whoa, that's kind of showing off. I said, no, no, I've seen it all. So what do you mean you've seen it all? I said, when you teach at a place like Berkeley, you see a lot of talent go through. So, and that's what it is. And it wasn't, I wasn't talking about me. I was, I, it was what I've seen, you know? So I, that was another line that I learned from another friend. He says, uh, don't impress me, leave an impression in me. And that was always so very important. Those are like little lessons again, you know, that you learn through, through life. Because you are a musician, 
do you think you've become better at teaching or is it the other way around? Because you're a teacher, you are a better musician. Wow. Glory. <laughs> Your questions are amazing. <laughs> um, I think they, they, if both, you know, feed onto each other. But one thing, you know, a lot of times I, I did, I've seen clinicians, you know, when they go, they go and play. And, and at one time, the format of a clinician, I think there was a little bit of confusion or miscommunication because you would see this drummer, great drummer who would play like a drum solo for 25 minutes, you know, all this amazing chops. And then at the end we say, any questions? And then you could tell that there was no, what do you call it? No agenda, no, no, no education behind it. It was just, it was more like a showcase. And then people started getting smart and they say, well, look, if we're going to invite you, you need to like teach. It's a different thing when you're actually playing and you're, you're doing your own show versus that. Okay. So, so that's the performer. And that's what I was saying before. It's like, you, you have to think of how you, when you learn for yourself and then when you learn to be able to teach it to someone else. And, and it's a very, it's a very funny sensation when you think about it, because now it's, it's I think it's the first time in many, many, many years that I'm not concerned as to how I'm going to teach something, you know, that I'm going to play it, but I'm not concerned. How am I going to teach this to someone else? You know, if I, I learned, like, for example, whether it's a, a groove or some kind of rhythm, some kind of a, you know, melodic line or a harmonic passage or something, I'm not concerned about that. Now I'm just concerned about me being able to play it clean, you know, and, and, and do a good job at it. The art of teaching it's a whole different bag for anyone, you know, especially it was very interesting nowadays with the, with COVID that all of a sudden all, all these musicians who uh, never taught and they've been on the road and all of a sudden, oh, I can teach. And then I see their videos and I said, no, you can't. You need to study pedagogy. You're, you're, you're just, you know, like talking about your own thing. You don't really have a plan. That's, that's where educators come into play, you know, great teachers many times are not necessarily famous. And that's one thing that uh, young students have to know. Many times they think that they need to go study with somebody famous, you know, and that's not the case. This is, you You need to go study with somebody who's a, a great teacher, somebody who knows, somebody who has educational resources, somebody who can actually play, even if they can't play something, but at least they can guide you. And that's very, very important. So both art forms, you know, they live side by side. That's why I think now, you know, at my age, you know, I really want to go and back and, and do my my thing. Yeah, so you can focus on the music. Yeah, for me, you know, and, and for the audience, you know. Nowadays, there are different ways music education is being presented. What do you think is the most important thing that needs to be taught when it comes to music education? What do students need to know when it comes to the basic things? <laughs> Yeah, you know, again, Laurie, you're killing me. That's another great question because people don't ask themselves this. But you know, one thing, one argument that I have with a lot of people who start, let me see, fundamentals. You have to stay to fundamentals. There's no way of getting around it. You need to learn chords. You need to learn harmony, scales, rhythms, reading music so that if you're going to work in, in the market today, you still have to read music. You know, many people say, well, you know, they're just going to give me the audio and I'll learn it from that. I, no, no, no. You need to learn to increase the pace of, at, at which music is produced because that's the, the way it is, you know. So you sight read. You learn to sight read, for example. You learn to be a good reader. You learn the technique on your instrument. There's no way of getting around it. Whether you're going to be composing uh, whatever, and whatever the style, you know, there are some styles that demand more, but 
uh, over the years, I've learned to really appreciate the high level of technique. For example, the rock musicians of yesterday are not the rock musicians of today. They have some serious technical chops, you know, that that has changed. It's not a one, six, two, five progression, and you know, your typical harmonic progression. Now it's a lot more sophisticated. Uh, the same thing with Latin music. There's the tradition and then there's a lot more now. So the thing, as far as uh, music education, the fundamentals are very, very important. And as I mentioned before, you know, nowadays, you know, because now you you have synthesizers, et cetera, and it's fantastic because I know people who know, but they're true audio specialists, you know, that they actually know how to create a sound from the bottom. You know, I work with a guy by the name of Nacho Marco. He's a fantastic uh, DJ, but the way he designs sound, it's, it's amazing, you know, and it's like watching a painter, you know, he starts from the beginning and all, and that, that's all like fundamentals, you know, in audio, but also music, you know, and, and all that. You still have to learn structure. You still have to learn all these things. And and I mentioned before, you know, there's that a lot of people who look at music and they feel that, oh, well, look, you know, I press a button, I can get this amazing drum sound. Well, no, that drum sound was actually pre-recorded by someone else who, who knows how to play the drums. And all you're doing is you're just triggering it. Technology is a great tool, but it's also very easy to get distracted or seduced by it. But the great musicians know how to use it. I mean, I use it, you know, for for my own projects. You know, it's a it's a great tool. You know, using sequencers and all this, it helps us a lot in a lot of other things. However, people, especially young people, they can they get very easily distracted with this. So they have to be careful. So going back to the original question, fundamentals: study, you know, harmony, traditional harmony, jazz harmony. Study Stevie Wonder. You know, go back to the blues. If you're a rock musician, if you haven't learned, you know, all that schooling, you know, that uh, if, if you haven't studied that, mm, you're missing a lot. You're, there's a big hole in your musical training. Uh, electronic music, learn the fundamentals for that. How do you create it? Because one thing that people have to realize is that the pace at which technology keeps developing. Today, you have like this XX super duper synthesizer. In three months, that's going to be obsolete. They're very, you know, because the palettes keep changing. And also how people listen, um, that's another uh, topic that is very interesting to me. You know, that uh, how people listen, you know, whether they have the, especially the youth, you know, whether they have the capacity or the, yeah, the level of concentration to listen to an entire, you know, Brahms symphony versus, you know, now, which a lot of music is very, uh, what do you call it, sketchy or it's very, uh, it's, it's written like in chunks, you know. Many times it's not even connected one phrase to the next one. They're just like two or four bar phrases. But but there is a there is a market for that. You know, I we can't deny that. But you have to know what it is what that you're working with. And for that, fundamentals. Get a teacher. <laughs> yes, because like you mentioned before, you couldn't read music. What was the impact when you were suddenly able to read music? Oh, all of a sudden, you know, I was I would go into um to the big band because I was playing drums at, you know. And, you know, being able to do like a, whether it was a Stan Kenton or, or a Woody Herman big band chart, and I would look at it and I would see, and I was like paying attention to, you know, reading it. But then I realized, okay, you know, this, there's a hit by the trumpets here, uh, a hit by, uh, by the, uh, you know, or a line by the saxophones. So I need to, as a percussionist drums or drums a player, I need to be able to support that somehow. So I, I needed to learn how to interpret those charts. 
And nowadays, you know, a lot of times people say, well, you can go into studio or I'll send you the, um, what do you call it, the track and you can work with it, you know, et cetera, you know, I mean, and there's a good and bad for that. One is good because, you know, you can check it out. Uh, But another thing is that there's very little room for creativity, you know, to really expand on that. But it's just sometimes it's just that's what it is, you know, but you, you need to be able to, to have the flexibility and that's what it is. So so reading is very important if you want to work in that. You know, for example, I've had, you know, like you look at a lot of flamenco musicians at one time, there were a lot of flamenco, you know, they, they play fantastic. But the problem with that is like they don't work in the other market because they need to learn to play, you know. So, I mean, they some are able but then, but a lot of the young flamenco players, they, they're, they've gotten into it. They know now they know it. So if they're not working in flamenco, they may be working in a, in a pop group or something like that. They've gotten smart now. In the past, we talked about the influence of the internet and social media on music. People think they can be famous just like that. What are your thoughts on that subject? <laughs> oh, God, that's, that's another thing that we were talking about. This mindset, and it's a distraction. I, I told one of my students, that's, you know, that they they had uh, they were, oh man, I got my web page, I got all these things, and I said, but you have nothing to sell. I said, I said what? I said you have nothing to sell. I said, what, what, what do you mean? I said, uh, you, like you have like this little uh, fruit store, and you don't have any oranges, and you don't have any apples, you have nothing to sell. I said, what do you mean? I have my songs. I said, no, your songs are copy of something else something that is being reproduced a hundred times a day nowadays. You're not being original. You know, when you have the music, then prepare so you can then set it up. And, and again, it's a tool and, and give it that value. You know, it's, it's take it for what it is. For example, I see a lot of students, you know, like they'll, they they play a, uh, a solo that they transcribe with somebody else. It, to be honest, for me, it's, it's not interesting. You know, so what are you doing? You're just showing off. You know, it's not it's not in my interest. To see that i would be more interested in hearing you play some an original solo now we're talking you know because what you're doing is you're, you're recreating something that was you know done by someone else and you just you just copy what they do that you know uh, so it's it doesn't make sense if you were to compare it to say a composition that is written a classical piano piece for example it was written by someone else but here your musicality your sensitivity your sense of expression your your knowledge of a yeah interpretation of a piece of a certain period comes into play and and there is that amount of originality there you know because i i, I my, my wife is a pianist and I, i've heard the same piece played by five different people it's five different songs and it's the same composition gorgeous each one each interpretation but just different another thing is that one time i remember i was with um uh, with Paquito Rivera and the World Festival Orchestra in New York, we were playing, and we were doing a, a you know a complex uh, piazzola piece with a with an ensemble. It was a big ensemble, and and at the end of the re- last rehearsal, before we would go home, somebody played part of the ending like a whole step above, and that sheet was like black, filled with all these notes, right? And so when I saw that, we went like, oh, great, you know. So we played it, and it sounded great. So again, you know, we finish and then somebody plays it like a whole step up on Paquito turns around and goes, hey, that sounds great. Let's do it like that tomorrow. And we all looked at each other and we went, oh, my God. So 
we were supposed to go have dinner and all that. Everybody went went back to the hotel. We were mailed the the parts, and we studied it at the at that night at the hotel. You know, nobody went out. And the next day, we we all show up, one run, and we played the entire thing. And Paquito was, oh yeah, that's it. I, I mean, th- th- it was crazy. It was crazy. You know, like all this really complex music, and it was beautiful. You know, and at the end, you know, and then we take it, and it was perfect played by everyone else. That can only happen if you're a good reader. But also it gave Paquito the, the possibility of taking the audience into another level of excitement. And that's why he is Paquito Rivera. He, he always puts the audiences in his pocket. So when you look at your entire career, what's your favorite and least favorite part of being a musician? Having to move my instrument. <laughs> no, my favorite part, I actually made a comparison the other day. You know, when you play a beautiful melodic line, many times when we focus on like the first note and the last note, but we don't think about all the notes in between. And those are the notes that kind of take you here and there and everywhere, you know, whatever. And when that happens, it's like, if you don't pay attention to that, then you're missing part of the trip, part of what is going on. So for me, you know, the from the moment that I sit down to compose, that process is already part of my joy. You know, like this morning at seven in the morning, I was at the piano, you know, writing this piece already that I want to do. And that process is already my joy. You know, and, and it also probably the that if you get compensated for it, it's even better, you know, <laughs> the, the reality of it. As far as like the, the part that I didn't, that I don't like is that sometimes, you know, you, you end up in situations, you know, like uh, where, you know, you're away from your family. You have to travel a lot. That's that's something that's it's what it is. But nowadays, thank God, you know, we I actually say thank God for for Zoom or for you know internet. See, that's why I'm kind of complicating things with uh, technology. <laughs> but but that's the thing, you know. And 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 yeah, you you do have to wear another hat. Is the business hat, and sometimes you still see the other day I heard of these friends who had to deal with this person who handled a certain business of a, of, of a gig, you know, and, and not a, it, it was just kind of very sloppy, you know, those are things that create a lot of unnecessary stress. And that's a part that I don't, I don't like, but I, uh, luckily I learned enough over the years that I stand, you know, already ahead of time. I said, okay, this is what I need. If, if you can't, comply with this then i call someone else you know because i'm not i'm not gonna bother i'm not at that point of my life anymore however young people can still be that professional you know but for that they have to be professional they have to you know present themselves as, as that and 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 then you get respect anyway so this last year we've all been home how did the pandemic influence you not only as a teacher but also as a musician and a creative person uh you know well, I made this one up. Some, you know, how people sometimes say, uh, "Oh, it's all for the best." You know, when when some some something not so good happens, but that's not the case. Sometimes end up as pure, you know, what? And and it's not that. It's that that we make the best out of what turns out. Meaning that for us, you know, I mean, the situation was this. Okay, I gotta make the best of it. And a lot of people do that. You know, it's nothing original, but we have to make the best of the situation. So what happened here? Uh, for me is for example okay i'm at home now i don't have to commute i have to be at home i have to adjust certain things you know i mean i'm going to be in front of the the computer for hours and hours so that means i need to go and walk what i don't normally walk every day i have to go and walk you know or something like that to try to stay healthy uh, another thing is that i learned 
but to focus on is very interesting through another uh, uh, project uh which is called breathe that i was involved in uh and and it helped like millions of children and um uh, i was asked about that you know like how do how you use breathing for example and just by being at home and then you sit down and and learn to use breathing for example uh right before you start to create there's something to be said about that it's like your mind is very clear and you're sort of like getting rid of a lot of the negativity and then you sit down to work with whatever your work is but it allowed me to be much more focused that was one thing so i also i just started writing a lot more while i've been here i started practicing a lot more and just preparing for that moment when we go back and do our thing right uh, obviously you know it has kept me away from my family you know because i haven't been able to travel to the us i haven't seen my sons uh, that's terrible and and of course you know the tragedies that have happened with a lot of families you know a lot of people you know related to our work it's what it is you know you know i i started reading books that i had on the side you know that i said oh my god i started studying a lot more you know there are books that are things in uh, an orchestration another thing you know you can take courses online <laughs> there are those great benefits of the internet you know and technology and and seeing some great classes and all these other courses that you normally would not be able to or you wouldn't do that because you're so busy running around but now you're actually sitting down at home <laughs> the other thing I was going to say yeah we gain weight true no but uh <laughs> it, it lasted for a moment and then we realized that not that we had to take care of our health but uh but also I think I and I hope that people um realize how important people are it sounds silly and probably redundant but how being close to people is uh, how important it is also for performers the idea you know i mean yeah as much as i may be in front of a home camera and playing for someone else it does not to me i mean and i joke about this but i said nothing will replace me playing in a jazz club with a conga player on a saturday night and the conga player is just sweating up like crazy and and then they come and hug you and they <laughs> ruffle their sweat on you is is one of the most amazing sensations to see you know or to hear you know somebody you know like a great horn player or guitar player just you're right in front of it that sensation you know doesn't get replaced by seeing it virtually we need that you know it's it's very important or sitting in being in a in a concert hall a great concert hall and hearing the string section you know just going through your body you know as you're listening to it you don't get that virtually unfortunately no because the entire live experience is very important yeah and that's what it is <laughs> so i got five random questions for you the first one being do you remember the first song that impacted your life yes well actually i have to say that there there were two one was concierto de aranjuez you know by joaquin rodrigo the original not, not the Chicoria intro, but it was the, the original. And uh, I don't know, there, there was something about it. There were three. Also because there, and it was a series of boleros because it kind of reminded me of how Mexican I am, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. And probably one that really impacted me was Mill Jackson playing Little Sunflower. Well, actually, it's, it's the album, but there's a piece that he plays in there called For Someone I Love with Freddie Hubbard, you know, and it's chills, you know. And that was when I when I heard that. That's when I decided I was going to be a vibraphone player. That was going to be my instrument. I never thought that you could express so much emotion through an instrument, which is it's, it's metal because a vibraphone is made of 
you know, it's, it's only from 1926. That's around when, when it was invented and it hasn't really changed since. So you have this thing that looks, you know, people don't know what a vibraphone is. You know, I have to explain. It's like a marimba, but made of metal. And, and, and if you think about it, you say, well, your job is to actually make it sing, you know, make it make people feel something. So, so it's a challenge and it's a, it's a beautiful challenge. You know, it's just for, for us, like if you listen to a, a guitar, you know, it's like, it just sounds beautiful just when you strum it. And now vibraphone is the same thing or a marimba or a violin, of course. If you play it well, it sounds beautiful. For me, that it just spoke to me. You know, it, it was just the instrument. It was a combination of harmony, rhythm, you know, and being a percussionist, you know, in general. When you think about the past and the present, which artist influenced you then, and which artist influences you now? <laughs> There are so many. I mean, uh, honestly, because I can tell you again when I heard like. On ensembles, uh, there are some groups that just blew me away. You know, when you hear them, like for example, Chicago, the band. You know, just listening to that the, that brass the way it was because it was sort of related to what I had been hearing. Stan Kenton, Count Basie, all those bands. Unfortunately, many people haven't had that experience of sitting in front of a big band, and when you hear that power in front of you, and, and let me clarify: when I say power, I'm not talking about volume. I'm talking about intensity, real intensity, you know, hearing this harmony that just goes through your body, you know, it's, it's really amazing. So those bands, you know, that impacted me like crazy. The same thing when I heard Narciso Yepes, um, my father studied with him in, in, in Madrid, you know, and you hear, you know, that seven string guitar player at the National Auditorium in Madrid, and you hear it and, and it's just so, so beautiful. Again, I mentioned Stevie Wonder. I, I had the great opportunity of working with Benny King, uh, Stand By Me, Under the Boardwalk, all that, you know, and just playing with that gentleman, you know, and and and, all, and him turning around and say, Brother Victor, play the solo on this one. And I would turn, me, you know, and it was always so great. And and what a nice, sweet gentleman, you know. Uh, same thing, you know, uh, to have seen uh, Ella Fitzgerald in person. I, I, I was sitting a few feet away from Bill Evans, you know, and I was just, and I actually shook his hand and I was like, oh my God. And there were so many because I would always do everything possible. I would drive 30 hours, you know, to go see a, a, a band that I wanted to go see. And, and it just really blows you away, you know, when you see that. And, and nowadays, there, there are so many young players coming up, you know, that I, I, I just, I'm just barely beginning to see them, you know because of what they do one of them actually is my own son uh, alex you know he, he's a producer and uh, he's actually a co-producer and co-wrote a trampoline it became like he they won like a big thing and then and and then you watch him and or or also even i get my other son jonathan who's a poet you know he won a couple of national uh, slam poetry and uh, he was actually featured with antonio sanchez that's another guy that's mind-blowing you know antonio sanchez drummer But there are still the next generation of young musicians that you see them, you know, and I hope that the record labels get smarter because right now they're not They're They're a little too focused on making money a little too much, you know, for, well, they should have two departments, one for making money and one for true artistic, uh, what do you call it, adventures of, because there are some incredible talents out there that are coming out, you know, from all over the place. Is there still someone on your wish list that you would love to work with? Oh, yeah. On my wish list? Yes. 
Sting. And also there are all, all these other musicians from uh, Morocco. There's uh, Rani Krishna. He's a great percussionist. He was actually Sting's percussionist. You know, I worked a lot with, uh, obviously, with Giovanni Dago. You know, our friend Giovanni. <laughs> I, I mean, there, there are a lot of young players. You know, they, they, they bring so much uh, energy. Also, um, I know I want to play with orchestras. I'll, you know, there are some fantastic symphony orchestras. The National Orchestra in uh, Mexico City, and uh, you know, and any of that, you know, because it's just it's another passion of mine, you know, orchestral music. I, I don't write, uh, you know, I have friends that write, but but that's what I want to do. Well, you've been in music education for so long. What would you change if there's a possibility to change in the way music education is being presented nowadays? Um, You know, it, it's so difficult to, yeah, it's a, it, again, another great question. Uh, uh, it, it's, um, it's very difficult because the teachers can only do so much. And also sometimes I feel that teachers nowadays compete with a medium, meaning that students, for example, you know, if, if they get information through internet or all, all the time, you know, or, or they get things th through YouTube or something like that. You know, and then the teacher almost sometimes has to uh, provide almost the same or, or feel sometimes or that you have to provide the same information with the same level of entertainment, you know, with all this uh, pre-production and all that. And it just makes it really hard. But but sometimes information is just plain information, you know, two plus two is four, period. You don't have to put, you know, like uh, all this uh, videos and whatever trying to prove how important two plus two being four is, you know, it's how the information gets passed on. And, and I think I, it has a lot to do also nowadays with, I would, I would probably try to help students to learn how to learn. When the term innovation comes up, sometimes I think I find that word very, um, I don't know, it's too pompous for me. And the reason I say, because for example, when something is great, it will always be great. Meaning Bach, was great during his lifetime. Not everybody knew about that because his music didn't get published until much later after he died. You know, that is a very interesting thing about it. It was great at that time. It is great today. Picasso, Rembrandt, they were great masterpieces then. They're still great masterpieces today. The one thing is that we still have to maintain, we have to sustain that level of teaching, uh, giving students the, the experience uh, And, and to observe, you know, I mean, for me, you know, again, I had at home, you know, my parents uh, where I learned how to observe, how to listen. And that's such a gift, you know, to have because uh, a lot of people started sort of like demanding more of schools. The administrators kind of panic. And I think sometimes they, they feel that they have to come up with all the answers. So almost like the education is from, comes from the top and then comes down to the bottom. But it's, it's wrong. The education is the teachers to me. You know, they're the ones who have the information. They know the whatever the theme or the subject that they're teaching. You know, and, and a certain curriculum, you know, may have, let's say, 10 teachers within this program. The incentive for those faculty, those teachers, has to be um, there all the time. And, and, and that comes from support, you know, so that their creative spirit is, is always enhanced. And and that's when, when a teacher, I remember when my teacher would come in and start screaming, going, wow, check this out. They're so excited. 
through that excitement, it's like you learn. And I remember, I, I forget this writer where he said, you know, I, I never liked jazz. And then he says, one time I was, uh, I came out of a theater and there was a saxophone player. And I started to listen and he was like, he was playing this note. It was like the stars in the sky. And he was like, he was guiding me and he was showing me the way. Those are the teachers, you know, that's what teachers tend to do, right? So I think that that has to be supported by administrators. And I think that that would make a, a more healthy environment for the students because now you're involved in, you know, in creative work. And there are a lot of teachers. I've seen that they do have the support. So I would maintain that if, but if it doesn't exist, they should uh, um, support that because I think that that's what calls for nowadays, you know. Mm -hmm. So you've been surrounded by music, like professionally, but also personally. Do you have any other interest yeah. besides music? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, eating. <laughs> Knew that. <laughs> no, no, I love art. You know, my father was a painter, so I love art. You know what I love? Black and white photography. And the reason is because it sort of reminds me of what I learned from, from a, you know, when, when you give a child a box of crayons, sometimes they don't know how to, to get started. But I don't remember, I think it was my teacher. Um, they, she would just give us a pencil and, you know, we were just supposed to draw. But I came to this conclusion that by using, um, just drawing with a pencil, you realize that you also have, you, if you press harder, you get darker, you know, a trace or lighter. And then, so then I started discovering all the shades of gray, you know what I mean? You know, and it's interesting, you know, so it's something that I do tend to associate to music is like you take a note, how much can you change that? And funny enough, specialists in electronic music do this, you know, they have the pitch, but they can do all these other things with it. So you, they change the color. So it's really fascinating to me you know when i hear like that and and so for that reason i love uh, looking at black and white you know photography and obviously spending time you know family you know my friends i love just to hang out with my friends and just talk about nonsense you know i never i don't sit down and do intellectual uh, conversations and and play with my with my dog we don't just talking with my wife you know my friends i mean that it, it's it's just really fascinating you know I do talk a lot. A lot of times I realize that, but I find them more fascinating, you know, finding out about my students or where they come from mm -hmm. or, or my friends, you know, where they live because their life is more interesting than my own. You know? So <laughs> you know? as a last question, what are your future plans? My future plans is, is that I, I, I just want to compose a lot uh, as much as I can, you know, I learn, continue to learn, to stay focused, to stay, you know, on top of it. You know, the, the great thing about, uh, young players is that they keep you in the game and even in your friends, they keep you in the game. You know, they challenge you when you go and play with them. So I have to keep that up. Uh, the other thing is that like to try to enjoy, I love to cook, by the way, that's another thing that I do. I'm, I learned that from my mother, you know, but I love to cook, uh, but also, uh, to travel. I want to go see things. I, I'm, I'm fascinated by, by cultures in general, you know, and, you know, when you go to like Argentina, you know, I mean, I've been there and you watch just, just observing like the, this, these guys, you know, they're like in their seventies and they dance tango with such passion and just, just those little things that give your life so much richness. So I just want to compose and record and perform That's I mean, I, I, not just that, I mean, but that's, I want to, that's probably going to take most of my time or it is taking most of my time now. You told me that you're going to retire. 
Are you still going to be involved with music education? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I uh, I like doing uh, master classes. I get invited. I, I just did one for NYU for an uh, Oregon uh, students from NYU from Oregon University from uh, at the Royal Northern College of Music in the UK. I'm doing for other ones in Mexico and in Argentina, Colombia, in Asia. And, and and it's because I like to teach, you know, and I know a lot of the young students, you know, they they they're searching for you know for answers, and and if I can provide them, I I'm more than glad to do it. It's a wonderful environment, atmosphere, you know. But yeah, like I said, you know, I'm retiring from Berkeley, but uh, who knows? Maybe in ten years I'll go back to teach it. But who knows if they'll want me at that age, you know? So, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it wasn't that funny. But but you know what is funny is that being a percussionist, you have to stay on top of it physically. You have to stay on top of it. So I have to walk a lot. Yeah, I do. Uh, go to Pilates class, you know, which everybody laughs about. You know, I said I want a video of that. Yes, you know? send a video. I said, no, but but the thing is that you know, just to, to stay healthy, you know, so that um, you know, it's not that you are right, but how you are right, you know, you that you're that you're strong, you know, physically that you take care of yourself, you know, yeah. And there, there's you know, there are many things that don't cost much money, you know, that you can go into your local museum doesn't cost a whole lot, you know you know reading and, and things like that no i still everybody laughs you know because i so say you don't seem to stop you're still in it i said yeah you know i mean and that's what i mean you know young players luckily i know a lot of young players who are my students now they're established and like i said they keep you in the game they push you you know and they it's almost like they dare you and it's like can you play this old guy you know and it's, it's one of those things you know and, and it is fascinating also to see those students you know succeed and to be or just to create great music you know it's really fascinating you just keep on going yeah that's so that's what's in the game now for me well thank you so much victor for your time oh this is wonderful this is great yeah i realize i talk a lot but but it's, it's uh your questions are are so appropriate and and uh you know the idea of, of staying relevant you know to what's going on you know today relevant to your family to your friends you know taking care of yourself you know? Again, gracias, Victor, and I hope to see you very soon again. You know where to find me. <laughs> If not, call your local police, you know. <laughs> They'll know where, do I, where I am. <laughs> I will. <laughs> Sorry, thank you. Hasta la vista, Victor. Okay, much love. Thank you again for listening to another episode of the Music Note Podcast. Join us again next time for episode 9. Please visit musicnote.com for the latest updates, and I'll see you again soon. Bye for now.